Chapter Six of From the Easy Chair, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. From the Easy Chair, Volume Two, by George William Curtis. Chapter Six, The Lecture Lyceum. The Utica Herald, in a pleasant article, recently recalled the lecture lyceum of a quarter of a century ago. It was then what is called a power. It greatly influenced public opinion. Its spirit was indicated by the reply of Wendell Phillips to an invitation which asked him his terms and his subject. He answered that for a literary lecture he should expect a hundred dollars, but he would deliver an anti-slavery address for nothing and pay his own expenses. The lecturers who were most sought at the time were almost without exception men of very strong convictions upon the great question which, however evaded and dexterously hidden, was the vital thought of the country, and every successive week from November to April in the largest cities and the smallest cities, along the belt of country from the Kennebec through New England and New York westward through Ohio and the Northwest to the Mississippi, before thousands of the most intelligent American citizens, this band of lecturers advanced like a well-ordered platoon of sharpshooters, and delivered their destructive volley at what they felt to be the common enemy. Edward Everett, the monarch of the platform, as Mr. Edward Parker called him in his book Upon American Contemporary Orators, during part of this same time was making a tour through much of the same region with his oration upon Washington, for the benefit of the fund for the purchase of Mount Vernon, and he was also writing the Mount Vernon papers for the ledger. In one of these he gave an entertaining description of a night in a sleeping-car, when those itinerant bedchambers had but recently taken to the road. Mr. Everett's conservative temperament made his oration a kind of corrective of the influence of the great tendency of the Lyceum Lecture. But patriotic as his purpose undoubtedly was, his effort to stem the rapidly rising tide of public sentiment was like the protest of Governor Hutchinson and the colonial conservatives against the fervid, revolutionary appeals of Otis and Adams and Quincy. Other popular speakers of the same sympathy as that of Mr. Everett found themselves out of tune with the Lyceum audience, and were but meteors flashing across the stage, whose light was lost in the steady and increasing glow of the group of men who were identified with the great day of the Lyceum lecture. These men were not all like Wendell Phillips, open leaders of a specific agitation, nor were these lectures always ostensibly upon what are called public questions. But the influence of the lecturers was unmistakable. They were all men known to be in the strongest sympathy with the most advanced feeling of the agitation. It was the plain spirit and tone and drift of these lectures, an occasional allusion and the necessary application of the remarks, however general, to the actual situation, rather than any deliberate discussion of the question itself, which characterized the lyceum of that day. There was sometimes an attempted reaction against this tendency. In Philadelphia it was discovered that colored persons were not admitted to the music fund hall in which the lectures had been given. The leading lecturers instantly informed the committee that they declined to speak in the hall so long as the restriction continued. In Albany the reactionary sentiment in the Young Men's Association succeeded in electing a lecture committee which was resolved upon a purely literary course, and which would not invite the usual lecturers. The result was an independent course, under the auspices of dissatisfied members of the association, in which the rejected lecturer spoke in the largest hall in the city, and the signal triumph of the seceders lay in the immense audience which assembled, in contrast to the attenuated audience upon the regular course. 
the singular success of the lyceum lecture of that time was due undoubtedly to two causes the simultaneous appearance of a remarkable group of orators and their profound sympathy with the question which absorbed the public mind the weekly lecture was not merely a display of oratory not only an amusing recreation but it brought wit and accomplishment and eloquence to strengthen the public feeling and arouse the public conscience and to confirm the earnest spirit which was universal and which forecast the great events and noble elevation of the public mind that followed emerson wendell phillips guff beecher chapin star king theodore parker could of themselves carry any course of lectures and each in his own way was thoroughly in accord with the truest american life of that time the situation and the condition of the public mind would not have availed indeed without the happy chance of such orators to create the lyceum but with that chance the lyceum of that day was as remarkable a continuous display of various and effective eloquence as has been ever known if the faithful diary of any lecturer who went the grand rounds twenty-five years ago from maine to the mississippi could be published it would be full of the most amusing stories the lecturers all had them to tell and they were all men of a singularly fine perception of humor james t fields the publisher in boston was the friend of all the lyceum orators and towards the close of his life he was himself a popular and attractive lecturer upon literary subjects his little cell or private office in the old corner bookstore in boston was an exchange of lecturers for that neighborhood which teemed with lyceums and no similar space has ever heard fresher stories better told or has ever echoed with gayer laughter it was the pleasant company in that little retreat which first heard the day after it occurred the tale of the belated lecturer who hurrying from the cars in a carriage to the hall in boston long beyond the hour dinnerless and with no chance to dress opened his travelling bag and proceeded to the consternation of the lady who had taken a seat in the same carriage and whose pardon he politely and briefly invoked to change his collar and his coat as he began to pull off his coat having pulled off his collar his amazed and terrified fellow-passenger began to pull at the door and to call loudly upon the driver who was furiously whipping his horses into a pace that increased both the noise of the carriage and the conviction of the terrified lady that she was the victim of some dreadful conspiracy or the hapless victim of a maniac the maniac's earnest but interjectional explanations as he proceeded in his toilet begging his companion to be pacified as he was merely going to lecture was an unintelligible asseveration which only made his madness more indisputable and awful in what might have befallen the poor lady if the carriage had not suddenly stopped at the hall and the lecturer in his clean collar and black coat had not begged her pardon for frightening her with a fervor that frightened her all the more and disappeared from the vehicle with his travelling bag shawl and umbrella he was not prepared to say but the tale as he told it the next morning with infinite humor in field's corner was received as he ruefully admitted with louder shouts of laughter than had greeted the brightest witticisms of his lecture fields is gone and his old friend and neighbor Whipple, who was one of the earliest of the noted lyceum lecturers. The old corner in the old corner bookstore is gone, and with it have vanished many of the happy company that gathered there, not only of orators, but of famous authors. The lyceum of the last generation is gone. But it is not surprising that those who recall with the Utica Herald its golden prime should cherish a kindly and regretful feeling for an institution which was so peculiarly American and which served so well the true American spirit and American life. End of chapter 6 Recording by Philip Gould